So my name's Sonia Gödler and I'm a Professor of Occupational Therapy and my story today is called 100 Swedish Flags and it's really the story about how I became a Professor of Occupational Therapy. So I grew up in remote Western Australia on, in a wild and beautiful place called Mount Many Peaks and it's um, a farm that sits in the shadow of a mountain that rolls into the Great Southern Ocean. And while it's very, very beautiful, it's a very, very isolated place. There were 3,000 sheep and five people. And our friends were the lambs and the farm dogs, so we were a long way from town. But going to town was a super big deal, and it was a very special occasion, and everyone got dressed up. But especially me, because my nickname from my family was Lady Di, because my farm clothes and my outfits were so well put together. I really loved getting dressed up. So a couple of times a year, we would go to the big city, Perth, which is about 500 kilometres away, where my nana lived. And this was an even bigger deal for me and my family. I loved my nana. She was a wonderful person who always had time to listen to everybody. She was beautiful with blue eyes that shone. And she was tall and super smart, despite having had to leave school at the age of 12. She was creative and really loved to paint and make craft projects. My nana and I shared a really special bond. We both loved to have high tea and we had a wonderful love of fashion and that was something we really shared. Every time I came to Perth, me and my nana would go out for high tea to a wonderful little Swedish restaurant called Miss Maud's. And even today, Miss Maud still sells beautiful biscuits and has fantastic high teas. But they had the most amazing little sandwiches which came complete with little Swedish flags that were stuck into the top of them. And they were my favourite. I thought they were just lovely. So I used to collect these Swedish flags and actually keep them in my purse for months after my high tea with my nana because they reminded me of my nan and the wonderful time that we'd had. My nana was my biggest fan. She told me that I would one day change the story of the women in my family, that one day I would finish high school and one day I'd go to university and one day I'd do something amazing. At this stage in my life, I was a little bit sceptical as the rest of the world seemed to be telling me that my options were maybe to marry the minister's son or, even better, the son of the farmer next door because that would extend the family farming empire. I used to think that they were my viable options in life, even to the point where I kissed the minister's son once, but that didn't really go anywhere, so um, I decided I'd better do something else. When it came time to go to high school, we used to go away to boarding school, so then it came my time to leave the farm. So at 14, I went away to the big city, which was 500 kilometres from where my family lived and where I went to do my high school and, and finish my high school career. But even now today, I still hanker for the big skies and the mountain and I have a terrible and embarrassing love of country music. But I finished high school and bungled my way through a very average undergraduate degree. I, I found it a bit tough because I was working 20 hours a week and trying to finance my, my own living, so paying rent, being from the country. But one thing I strangely discovered was that I loved research methods. While the rest of my year and cohort really hated the design and the methodology side of what we were doing, it was my favourite thing. I really loved the stepwise process. I enjoyed the order. And to me, I thought research was creative and had a beautiful product at the end. Research has always been creative. To me, on one level, it's art. It's like a wonderful painting in a um, gallery or even even better, a beautiful dress, which always reminded me of my grandma and the processes that go behind creating a beautiful designer dress. So after completing my high school degree, I worked for a little while and I found myself working for a bank, which needless to say, I was less inspired by the day and had decided that this was not the career I had in mind for myself. 
So after a year of working for the bank, I became bored and decided to enrol myself in a master's degree as an antidote to my boredom, really. But I really enjoyed my master's degree because what it allowed me to do was spend more time doing research methods, which by this stage I actually had kind of forgotten I'd really enjoyed in my undergraduate degree. But after finishing my master's, I um, ended up getting a job in disability and working with adults and teenagers who are blind and vision impaired. And I really, really enjoyed that job and that inspired me to pursue my PhD studies in that area. The reason I loved working um, with people who are blind or vision impaired was I always admired their courage and, and their, their commitment to overcoming their challenges in their everyday life. And they inspired me to, to think that, you know, my life was generally pretty easy. And um, yeah, I just really love watching their stories and their journeys and being able to work with them as a in a partnership relationship and helping them to overcome their challenges and pursue meaningful lives. So I really enjoyed that work. And it inspired me so much that um, I decided to do my PhD in the area of vision impairment and blindness. And I spent four years doing my PhD while also having two babies. So it was pretty challenging. But um, I stayed committed to the process and eventually finished my, my PhD. When I graduated, I was awarded a Chancellor's Commendation for Excellence. But I always think that I was able to do such a great job of my PhD because I was so inspired by the people I worked with and the stories they had and, and their journey. So once I finished my PhD, I became a junior academic and I was doing a teaching and research role, spending a lot of time teaching. But I always had a dream that one day I would be able to do the research I really wanted to and to use those research methods that I love so much and had inspired me so much in a way that, that I wanted to in disability to understand the experiences of people with disabilities. But I'd really spun my wheels for quite a few years. I had a big teaching load. I found it really difficult to get to my research and I was really without a mentor. So I decided that what I really needed in life was to build some international collaborations and, and to find myself a mentor and someone who could help me through this really difficult journey of academia. And we often, we call it the mid-career doldrums in academia. It's really where people fall off the research journey and, and find it really hard to build an independent research career. So I spoke to my boss at the time, who was a really wonderful woman called Lorna, and I explained to her that I was feeling stuck and that I couldn't really get my research going or, or build a research career. And I mentioned to her that I'd been speaking to a professor in Sweden who um, had done similar work to the work that I really wanted to do and had really inspired me in terms of the frameworks and the methodologies that he had used. And um, I really wanted to go and meet him. We'd had a few email exchanges and a few Skype meetings, but I thought it would be really helpful for me to go and meet him in person. And I explained to her that that was really all I had, was a contact in Sweden and I'd like to go to Stockholm to meet him. And believe it or not, Lorna eventually um, supported me in my somewhat crazy idea and agreed to fund a trip to Stockholm for me to go and meet my mentor for half a day and to spend some time with him and talk about the work that he was doing and, and how we could potentially work together. And before I knew it, I was on a plane heading to Sweden. Now, I was actually completely terrified because I, I had grown up in remote Western Australia and going to a country as far away as Sweden was something I'd never done before. And I had to go to Sweden on my own. So that was a bit challenging. So I arrived in Sweden and met Sven and I was really nervous because to me, he was a really significant researcher and professor in my field and I'd looked up to him for a long time. But you know what? I realised that Sven was really friendly and we got on amazingly well. 
And he had a, gave me a wonderful tour of Karolinska Institute, which is one of the world's leading medical universities, complete with stories about how in winter enormous ice crystals would fall off the eaves of the buildings and potentially kill you. It's probably the Australian equivalent of drop bears. But um, we shared a lot and we talked about potential research projects. And when I got back to Australia, I realised that I could probably actually um, use Sven as a mentor, that Sven could actually help me achieve that independent research career that I had so long wanted to pursue but had been unable to find the path or the way. So whether Sven liked it or not, he actually became my mentor and we began to work together on projects and apply for grants. And we actually started to get many grants and get many of our projects funded to the point where we eventually now today have eight PhD students that we co-supervise and have you know, quite a significant amount of research funding to do research here in Australia. So Sven to me was my perfect mentor. He inspired me to think logically and to work hard and to always be on time, something I still struggle with as an Australian. Sven is actually German, partly by background. He also has great fashion sense, which I put down in part to his Italian heritage. And he is kind. He is, after all, part Swedish. So over the years, Sven and I have done many, many projects together. He's been my mentor, my colleague, and now my friend. And together with the help of many others, we've built one of the largest autism research groups in Australia. So the Curtin Autism Research Group is quite unique in that our research interests are focused very much on the needs of the community and our research priorities are defined by people living with autism themselves. So we're very much known nationally and even in part internationally now for our work um, in peer mentoring programs for young adults with autism, for social skills training programs for teenagers with autism. So research that's really focused on intervention and addressing the priorities of the autistic community themselves. So a few years ago, we were um, lucky here at Curtin that a couple of wonderful women started up a peer mentoring program here for autistic university students. And that program originally began with seven autistic university students here at Curtin. And over the years that program grew, we were able to get some research funding, which helped to grow the um, program, but also to fund research, which actually supported, provided evidence that supported that this program was effective and successful for autistic university students. That program's now grown to over 80 autistic university students. It's recognised nationally, internationally as a program of excellence for young adults with autism. And, you know, we've gone from maybe only 60% of autistic university students completing their degrees to over 90. So how, how the program works is we pair an autistic university student with a mentor, and that mentor is another university student, um, usually a psychology master's student or occupational therapy master's student, and that student's given a, a small amount of reimbursement in terms of financial terms to actually support the autistic university student by meeting with them, problem solving the issues they face at university, helping them to manage their assignments, um, maybe some of their anxieties around the social situations at university. But for a small investment, it's made such a significant difference to the completion rates of our autistic university students and really helped them to stay at university. So to end my story, a, a few visits ago, my friend Sven came into my office in Perth and we have a funny tradition of bringing each other small and somewhat funny gifts each time we visit. And this time Sven had come with all things with a bunch of Swedish flags because over the years I've developed an insane love of the wonderful country of Sweden and he bought me a really super large Swedish flag which now hangs in my office and a chain of bunting Swedish flags. But he also brought me, strangely, a, a small bag of tiny little Swedish flags with toothpicks. And there was a hundred little Swedish flags with toothpicks on them in this bag. 
And in that moment, I realised that now I had a whole bunch of Swedish flags and I could never fit them in my purse and that my nana was right there and that she had been right, that while I've not changed the history of the world, I've made some progress to changing the story of the women in my family. I finished high school, which my nana and my mother never did. I've got a stack of degrees and through some amazing chain of events, I became a science professor against the odds in a country where only 10% of women are professors in science. And a very large part because of the wonderful country of Sweden and my friend Sven with his 100 Swedish flags on toothpicks. So my advice to junior academics and women today is to find an awesome mentor, is to find someone like Sven to actually help them through the journey because it can be a really tough path to negotiate on your own and it's very hard to find your way. So today my career has somewhat two immodest goals, to change the world for people with autism but also to see more women as professors of science and I think my nana would be really, really proud of that.